This is the Libertarian Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Tom Church, and the Libertarian is Professor Richard Epstein. Richard is the Peter and Kirsten Bedford Senior Fellow here at the Hoover Institution. He's a Lawrence A. Tisch Professor of Law at NYU, and he's a Senior Lecturer at the University of Chicago. And this week has been an eventful one surrounding the House Select Committee on the January 6th attack on the Capitol. For some context here, after Senate Republicans filibustered a bicameral commission, we ended up with a select House committee created on partisan lines. Only two Republicans voted for it, Representatives Cheney and Kinzinger, both who serve on the committee. And the latest news, Richard, is a lawsuit filed on behalf of former President Trump, who is seeking to block the National Archives from turning over records from his time in office surrounding uh, during during the attack. Can you give us a primer before we go further on how executive privilege works in this case and some background on any former Supreme Court cases that might indicate how this will be resolved? Well, I could give you a primer, but I don't think it's going to have the requisite clarity to resolve this particular case. Uh, the first and simplest point to say is, like all doctrines of privilege, there's no explicit reference to it anywhere in the Constitution, yet everybody believes that it essentially has serious constitutional origins. And so the kind of implication that you have is if it turns out that the Congress can subpoena and can punish the president for his refusal to do business with them, essentially what happens is it's a dangerous attack on the principle of separation of powers, which says that each power essentially is supreme within its own regime, and if it turns out that veto gates, that is the checks as well as the balances in this thing, uh, what happens is they're going to have to go to court in order to be enforced. Uh, the privilege has always been construed warily, I think is the best way to say it. Uh, the president's privilege with respect to certain kinds of activities done while in office in the ordinary course of his business are often given sort of absolute privileges, but only to the extent that you think that they're necessary conversations with respect to his aides. When uh, President Nixon wanted to claim executive privilege with respect to the tapes and went to court, it wasn't as though the Supreme Court said, look, you know, we'll turn over anything that the Congress wants to have for an impeachment hearing. But they were very clear that to the extent that these doctrines pertain to uh, issues that were relevant to the impeachment, namely the tapes and so forth, uh, that Given the showing of no alternative source and a real necessity for the information, they can start to get this. And the key point about all of this was that the way in which they put this together is that specificity of the charges and the identification of the doctrine of the documents that you wanted were a key element for dealing with this. Now, when we come forward to this particular situation, we no longer have a sitting president, so we can no longer claim that the prison the, the privilege is necessary for him to discharge his public duties. At the same time, it turns out that the papers that are relevant seem to be in the hands of the National Archive, not in the hands of the current administration. And so then the question is, do you allow this privilege or do you not? And who's going to be in a position to assert it? In previous times, when we had the Pentagon Papers, all of these things were prepared underneath the Kennedy administration. Uh, but uh, Nix Richard Nixon was in office at the time that the uh, information was sought, and it turns out that uh, he actually resisted it on the grounds that the uh, protection of essential information and deliberation with respect to the government is something which transcends party differences, and so he was going to protect uh, the Kennedy administration under his own, and of course he got into very serious trouble and eventually lost that particular case. In this situation, I think it's perfectly clear that you can't rely on Joe Biden to represent the president uh, since he as president has interests which are clearly adverse to that of 
of Trump and the level of hostility between these two administrations, particularly after the January uh, 6th fiasco, is very, very great. So the question is whether or not Trump himself can plead the privilege with respect to documents which are in the hands of third parties. Uh, I mean, it does seem clear to me, if anything seems clear to me, that uh, the archives cannot simply turn the papers over to the committee and allow, without giving Trump a chance to make his protest. And then the hard question is going to be is whether or not when you seek this kind of stuff, uh, you have to make a showing um, as the president that there's some real reason why you need to keep these things clear, or whether on the opposite side, what the examiners have to do is to show that there's some clear reason why they need these particular documents, given the wealth of information that is publicly available on virtually every aspect of what happened in public at the Capitol building on the one hand, and certainly at the Trump rally down the street on the other. So that's the way in which the lineup pikes up. And we have to guess, I guess, at some time is as to which way this thing is going to turn. Yeah, I'll note that uh, it looks like any temporary court order to block the release of the requested documents would need to be issued by November 12th, coming up pretty soon, because that's when the National Archives were planning to release them in, in the first place. Richard, many people suspect that the, the the way that you hide unflattering or incriminating documents is to claim executive privilege on issues of national security or or other importance. Do you have a sense of how much this privilege is legitimate versus a stalling tactic? It is, again, with every president, always some combination of the two that you have to worry about. So the question is, how do you decide to handle this thing? And generally speaking, I think the sensible situation is, if I were running this as the trial judge, I said, all right, you tell me the kinds of documents you need. If you could identify them specifically, so much the better. If you cannot tell us the issues which you think are relevant, what I will then do is I will order the defendants to produce those documents, not to the plaintiffs, but to me in court. I will then look at them in camera, that is in secret, uh, will not allow at this particular point in time the plaintiffs to see it, because that, of course, defeats the privilege. And if I decide that these things are relevant, then what I will do is turn them over. If I decide that they're privileged, I will not turn them over. And probably a decision like that is going to be very difficult to appeal, since it's heavily fact-sensitive. And I think that determination would probably be dispositive. Well, once you do that, uh, the advantage of this system is that it allows you to partition the document. So if it turns out that there are some documents which really do involve national security during this particular period. Uh, You can put those safely aside. If there are others in which the president makes statements that bear on the relationship that he had to the various rioters, demonstrators, and rally participants, those might well go into the... uh, to the mix. The judge may have to decide at some point whether these things are more probative than prejudicial. I don't think that is something which will ban the release, but if it certainly turns out afterwards when you're trying to bring a case, uh, the Trump administration could say, even with respect to the documents that have been released, uh, these things are really not probative. They're very prejudicial. On one hand, you ought not to admit them, even though you were giving them in discovery. So this is going to be, I think, at the very least, a kind of long and complicated process, uh, but I would not go to either extreme at the outset. I would try to find some intermediate way so that you can get some sense on it. The Trump people, of course, have predictably described this as a fishing expedition. That's a technical legal term for saying, give me the kitchen sink and I'll figure (laughs) out later what I want. And the reason that they use that particular term is when you throw your line with its bait over the edge, you have no idea what kind of fish is going to come up. And so the theory is you can't do that in a deposition. You have to show that the document is relevant or can lead to something that is relevant, a pretty standard uh, uh, 
test that is used in these kinds of cases. And I think, in effect, uh, given what we know today, which is very little, uh, the incremental approach would be more sensible. If it turns out you give them some documents and they say, hey, we want to get some more, you could then do the same process with the second set of documents. It may well end up that you release all the documents or virtually none of the documents. The important things I always like to say is I'm a professor of law. I'm not a professor of facts. That is, I do not know what these documents contain. Uh, so what you're trying to do is to get a procedure in place that essentially minimizes two kinds of error. You don't want relevant documents to be concealed and you don't want privileged documents to be released. And the only person who could be traffic pop on that particular issue is the trial judge. We'll stick with the committee because they have a lot going on. Yesterday, they voted unanimously to hold Steve Bannon in contempt for not appearing for his scheduled deposition. And a criminal referral here would require a full House vote. Do you think that's likely to happen? And how often has that actually happened in the past? Well, everything here is due terror. For the most part, the entire history of executive privilege, except in extreme cases like with Nixon, has been a history of unpleasant accommodation between the two sides. They sit around, each of them realizes that going to court is a loser, and what they do is they hammer out some compromise which makes sense to them, even though its contours may be largely unintelligible to people who are outside the debate. And and so with respect to Bannon, I mean, you get exactly the same thing. They want him to come before the committee. And one of the things he can do is to say, all right, you want me to come in for it. Show me what you have that you wish to ask me about, and then I will tell you whether or not I can or cannot claim privilege on these issues. And that would force him to back off of this sort of the total response. I'm not going to talk about anything uh, because it's the same kind of thing that you had with Trump. If it turns out they really have some very specific questions on issues that he was involved in, which may have pertained to safety in the public order at the Capitol building, I think they're generally going to get that kind of information in an investigative committee. Uh, There is often a caveat with respect to investigative committees that you don't see with respect to criminal trial. These are prospective situations, often looking for ways that you can pass legislation or change administrative practice to prevent a uh, repetition of the event that has already taken place. And so you have a slightly broader latitude on the kinds of things that you're going to ask for. Uh, If it turns out that they are thinking of trying to force a way to prosecute Trump, uh, it's going to be a different set of issues. That can't be done through a House committee. That's going to have to go through the uh, president. And so what you may see is a repetition of what happened with the Mueller report when it came out is that you did the whole thing and you put it out to the public. And then the question was, well, Who's going to decide to publish this thing once the th- to prosecute or not once the publication is made? If it's Bill Barr having done his own report, he's not going to do it. Uh, but here what you do is you have Merrick Garland, a rather different person, not particularly fond of Mr. Trump, and he's going to have to bear the ultimate responsibility on this. I have no idea the way in which this will play out. Uh, the first question is, if Bannon gives a categorical no, uh, the House committee has to decide whether they want to ask for everything or something, and it's the usual trade-off. If they ask for everything, given the tight majorities, they may not get the majority vote. If they ask for less than everything, they may get the majority vote, but they may not get the information that they need. And so it's always a kind of constant tussle and trade-off that they're going to have to deal with. And we will see the way in which this plays out after they make their moves. But it's very dangerous when you haven't seen, A, what the committee has, and B, what it turns out that the Bannon has to make any prediction as to how this thing will play out. 
you know, when we hear defied subpoenas and, and, and penalties, some people will go back to 2019, then Attorney General Bill Barr and uh, Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross defied congressional subpoenas, and the Justice Department didn't act on the referral in 2015. Uh, the former IRS official Lois Lerner was referred to the Justice Department for prosecution, which the Obama administration declined to do. How are those cases, which are referred by, you know, Democrats and, and Republicans, different than the existing abandoned case here? Well, first, I think the stress is a similarity between them, uh, which is that when you look at this stuff, it turns out that there's a kind of a implicit understanding that it's a de novo review. That is, the people inside the Justice Department look at every document and they start again from scratch, deciding whether or not they wish to do it this way, that way, or the other way. And if it turns out that they declined to prosecute, there's no remedy that you could identify uh, which would force them to do so. If, on the other hand, they decide that there's enough there in order to prosecute, uh, then there's going to be the question about resistance on what information they get, discovery, and all the other complications that go along with a prosecution. And frankly, at this point, we have just no idea of how this thing will play out. If they do want to prosecute, they're going to have to at some point publish what it is that they think that Bannon did, and they have to explain why it's relevant to the kind of inquiry that they're undertaking. These House committees are very tricky, and in this particular case, if I were a court, I would say, well, I know this thing is completely partisan. It's got only two Republicans on it, and they're the only two Republicans who are willing to take on Trump. Uh, That's fine. Uh, so it's not as though I think they're going to get the usual presumption of legitimacy given the fact that they're partisan, but I don't know what the level of discount is going to be. I mean, we are, Tom, I keep stressing this over and over again, is there a series of broad principles that loosely constrain what's going on in this case. If you start to see extreme facts, either very favorable to the president or very strongly against them, you might be able to chart the course that's going to take place. But if you're in this very large intermediate gray area, so much is going to depend upon the strategic choices, the behavior, the nuance. Lots going to depend upon the choice of the the judge. And the one thing that is obviously very different is here you have a Democratic uh, party which is in control of the attorney general's office in the earlier days you had a republican party and uh, there are always the partisan issues that necessarily arise in something like this because at its root it's an extremely political trial my own sort of back of the envelope situation and assessment is something like this we have enormous public records of everything that trump did and everything that trump said uh, during the course of this we have exhaustive tapes of everything that went on inside outside and around the capitol and we know what's going on at that particular case so the first thing that you would want to do is to have if i were the judge you say okay what is it that you think you need from these guys before you could form your your recommendations for changes in reform? And at that point, what they have to do, at least within the context of a House hearing, is to try to identify what kind of legislative reforms they want. Remember, we had this battle with respect to Trump's tax return. And what we did is we kind of got a split verdict on that. Uh, the Supreme Court, when it faced the request from the House committee uh, to turn over these particular tax records, what it did is it didn't say they were absolutely privileged, but it put a very high bar on the showing of necessity before it allowed it. And then on the other hand, when the New York district attorney wanted these kinds of papers, uh, it turned out they gave them to him uh, fairly quickly. And now they're busily deciding whether or not there's enough in there to prosecute. And they will probably decide to do so. And so 
If you're trying to figure out what's going on in the context of a legislative hearing, I think Trump stands in a somewhat stronger position than he does if he's actually facing criminal charges. And at this particular point, we've gone through the entire impeachment. I think, in effect, it's very difficult for them to win on, on the sort of incitement to an insurrection charge. Uh, the simple reason is I think that the protest, as ugly as it turns out, was not a forcible attempt to overthrow the United States government, but it was a juvenile and pretty ugly and utterly indefensible attempt uh, to kind of frighten everybody inside the White House so that they would be able to delay the vote on the certification of the Electoral College. I think that Pence was right under those circumstances to count the balance. I thought the president's position was stunningly terrible on that issue. Uh, but when the president says go to the White House and protest or to the Capitol building and protest, that's standard fighting word speech. Everybody's allowed to say that. He didn't say go in and trash the building. And then later on, he tweeted, please do this all peacefully. And so now you're going to have to prosecute on the grounds that he wasn't vehement enough in his effort to try to limit a crowd that he turned out to unleash. I think there's a lot of truth to the actual proposition that he sadly misbehaved on this. But it's one thing to say he kind of did a bad thing. And it's another thing to say that you could prove incitement to riot or incitement to insurrection uh, beyond a reasonable doubt, which is what you need in a criminal case. And given the availability of the public evidence, the key question, the first question you ask is, you know so much about this guy. What is it that you need to know to figure out what it is that you want to do? Show us your end and show us the means. If you can't do that, then my guess is that the president wins and this is going to remain an ugly political sore. I think, in effect, he's never going to be able to live this down, and I think it's just fine that he's unable to do so. I think the behavior is really reprehensible, but the difference between reprehensible and criminal is a line that you cannot lightly gloss over. You've been listening to The Libertarian Podcast with Richard Epstein. Remember, you can read Richard's column, The Libertarian, on defining ideas at hoover.org every week. If you enjoyed this conversation, please rate the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you tune in. For Richard Epstein, I'm Tom Church. Thanks for listening. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society and improve the human condition. For more information about our work or to listen to more of our podcasts or watch our videos, please visit hoover.org. 